Brothers and sisters, would you open up to Judges chapter 6? Judges chapter 6. And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word from Judges chapter 6. Let's pray for a blessing on God's word before we read it. Father God, you speak and whole universes appear out of nothing. So Lord, we know that your word is powerful. It is true. It is unchanging. And so this, this morning, Lord, as we hear from your word, from these pages of scripture, we pray that you would speak to us life unchangingly through your word, by your spirit. Give us ears, O Lord, to hear. And may we not only be hearers of your word, but faithful doers of it as well. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us in this way from Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whatever the Israelites, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. And leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep or donkey, or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they would lay waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, 
The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Do not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have favor in your eyes, and please show me a sign, it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes with an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought, him, brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel said to, of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff, which was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he, that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, my, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and, and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Orpah, which belongs to the Abizites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did what the Lord had told them. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down and the Asherah beside it was cut down and the second bowl was offered on the altar that has been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of town said to Joash, Bring out your son so that he may die. 
For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is because, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of, of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Bizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they too called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleet of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. It was so. Then he arose next morning and squeezed the fleece and he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And Gideon said to the Lord, do not let your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And the Lord did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all of the ground, there was dew. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're looking at the book of Judges now. And it's and one of the reasons is that you and I aren't so different than the people that we're looking at. We are like, very much like the people of the Judges. And if you haven't picked it up so far, the, the theme of this series is what is wrong with the world? You might be looking at uh, the, the, our news. You might be looking at the papers. You might be looking at your social media feed and you go, I know what's wrong with the world. It's those people. You might be able to say, man, it's the, the liberals or it's the conservatives, it's the secular humanists, it's those lobby groups, it's the feminists, it's the non-feminists, it's the capitalists. No, no, it's the socialists, whoever. But Judges has a way of holding up the mirror in front of us and saying the problem with the world Any other people who didn't believe in God, the greatest problem, to be frank, in the book of Judges was staring back at them in the mirror. What is wrong with the world is actually you and me. 
So today we get into one of the most detailed descriptions of the impression of oppression that we find in the entire book of Judges. We read in the first verse that the people of Israel, again, again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we read about all the consequences of that disobedience. The Midianites overpowered them. The people of Israel, what did they do? They fled into dens, dens that they made, and they hid in caves. Every time they planted crops, anytime they planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites came and raided all of the produce that they planted. They would take everything, not just their plants, not just the harvest, they would even take all of their livestock, everything. And I love how it describes their enemies. They were so numerous, it was like a plague of locusts that would just come in and devour them. And because of this, it says in Judges 6 6 that Israel was brought very low because of Midian. They were made very small. They, they were experiencing the very opposite of what God had ultimately promised them in his covenant. The oppression was so bad at this time that even the prophet Isaiah, centuries later, talked about this. It was one of the darkest periods of Israel's history when everything Everything was going wrong. So I wonder, do you personally ever look around and wonder, why aren't God's people experiencing what he has promised? Have you wondered in your own life, why am I not experiencing what God seems to have promised me. The reality is that God's people get themselves into real messes. I've been reading a book called uh, Consuming Jesus. It's kind of an odd tow, uh, uh, title, but it really works. As the author is of churches, the author writes quite convincingly about our, ch our call to be robust, Theologically, robust theologically, to be people who transcend the barriers of race and, and social status. Vibrant of churches that embody the kingdom of God, that care for the poor, that transform culture for the good of people and for the glory of God. That is what the church should be about. But instead, the author says that many of us are living out an individualistic, consumeristic gospel. He, we have bought into, and there's a slide for this, I believe, Carol. We have bought into, maybe, yes. We have bought into individualism and consumer-oriented, homogenous, unit-principled church where a family fan family-friendly faith protects Christ's followers those who think, look, and even sound different than they do. And the author, Paul Lewis Metzger, 
goes on and talks about what someone else wrote about pop psychology replacing sound doctrine. Or as well as our preoccupation with success, wonderful marriages, and nice children. Our fixation on, on numerical growth and, and money. And our neglect of the great social issues of the day. Above all, racism and the plight of the poor. And my friends, this book was well written well before our time of all of our race issues that we have going on in this culture. So I'm not a book that was just recently published. This is an ongoing issue that the church has struggled with. And I think all of this read about this, I go, this is the church? This is the church, really? And then we look at our own lives, and most of us, I think, long, long for God to really move and for his power to be shown in our, our personal lives, our marital lives, our family lives, our, our, our world, our neighborhood. But we're not experiencing it. I don't mean to start off on a negative note, but it's kind of the theme of Judges 6, verse 1. When we read about God's people living in caves while the enemies of God thrive, I feel it. I wish I didn't, but I can. We seem to be living less than what God had promised. God's people can get our lives, you and I can get our lives into a real mess, and we're left wondering why. Why aren't things the way that they are supposed to be? Why are we experiencing God's power as we should? Why? So let's talk about what is the real problem. Notice what happened when things got really bad in this passage. What happened? The people of God cried out to him. Usually what happened in this cycle that, that repeats over and over and over in the book of Judges is that when the people cried out to God, what did he do? He sends them a deliverer. He sends them a judge. He sends them a warrior who is going to conquer and deal with the problem, but not this time. What did God do? He sent a, a prophet. He sent a prophet. Why would God send a prophet and not this deliverer or this judge? Because the reason they were living in fear in caves wasn't because of the power of the Midianites. The reason they were living in fear in caves is because they had forgotten the gospel. They had forgotten the gospel. They had forgotten about God's saving acts. And that the same God who saved the people of the past was still available to save them today. They had forgotten that. Read what the prophet said in verses 8 to 9. Look again with me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I was the one who did it. 
And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you into their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you shall dwell. Did you get how many times I was mentioned in there? God is doing a punctuation and underline, a highlighting, a bolding kind of thing here. Why were the Israelites in caves? Did you pick up that last, that last little verse there in verse 10? But you have not obeyed my voice. Why were, had they been brought very low? Why are we not experiencing? The problem isn't the Midianites. The problem is us. The problem is that we don't really believe the gospel. At least we don't believe it enough to transform us, to change us. We may believe it as a set of facts. These things forensically have happened. Sin happened in Genesis chapter 3. It so affected our world. And oh, we know it. Yes, we know that God had made a way by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Yes, we believe that if we have died with Christ, we shall also rise with Christ. We believe the facts of the gospel, but we're not living as if we really believe the gospel. And as a result, we at times are brought very low because we have forgotten the gospel. And in the rest of the chapter, what do we have in the rest of the chapter? We have a case study of someone who personifies this very thing. And it may strike you who it is. So when we often hear the name Gideon, man, I, I think about my, my vacation Bible school days. It's almost kind of like Gideon's name is almost like a dare to be a Daniel kind of story. Look at what Gideon did. We name people after him. Oh, that's a great name for a a young boy, Gideon. But for those of you who actually know the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, he is a good guy. He's one of the judges who delivers Israel when they were in a total mess. He is also one of the, the judges who was listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. But what you may not know is he's also a personification of a person who has forgotten the gospel, or at least has left the gospel back in the history books. Friends, the gospel is more than just history. Virtually everything that we read about Gideon in this chapter highlights the fact that he had a lack of faith and reluctance to follow his God in spite of what the prophet had said. 
He's an example of what the prophet had just said is wrong. And in this chapter, Gideon is a personification of what is wrong with God's people. And in this chapter, we see that Gideon is just like you and me. So we get to verse 11, where Gideon is beating his wheat in the wine press. And if you know anything about how wheat should be beaten, it should be done in a wide open outdoor space so that as the wind is blows away the, the shaft. It's to be done out in the open space. But where is Gideon doing it? He is hiding in a wine press. Why? Because Gideon himself is scared. And if he does this, beating his, his wheat out in the open, he is afraid of what the Midianites may do to him. Then, then we have the angel of the Lord who is appearing to this guy who is hiding in a wine press because he's scared. And did you, did you pick up what the angel said to him? It's kind of ironic. The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. O mighty warrior who is hiding in the wine press. It's a little bit of irony going on here, right? This man is hiding for his safety, and the angel of the Lord is calling him a mighty warrior. If so, if, if he is a mighty warrior, Israel's in a lot of trouble. Because this mighty warrior, warrior is hiding. He responds by asking the question that is on everybody's mind. Why doesn't our faith and our experience match up? Right? And that's probably true for many of us at different points in our life. Why doesn't our experience and our faith match up? He said in verse 13, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all of this happened? You ever ask that question? God, if you're really with me, why am I experiencing this? And, and where are all of his wonderful things our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers had told us about? Our grandfathers told us, you know, oh, let me tell you about of the Red Sea. It was a glorious moment. Let me tell you about all of the plagues. Oh my gracious, it was absolutely amazing how we saw God's hand at work. And, and Gideon is saying, Lord, where are all these deeds? My, my faith and my experience, my history and my current reality are not matching up. In other words, Gideon asks these questions that should be on all of our minds. Why are God's people in such a mess? Why, if God's promises are absolutely true, there are yes and amen in Jesus, and if God has so act, acted so powerfully in the past, why are we in a mess right now? Why? And it's interesting that the angel doesn't answer Gideon. For one thing, the prophet has already given the answer, right? And the answer is, you, you have not obeyed my word. And besides, Gideon is about to provide the answer himself through his own actions. Because what happens next is that the angel 
calls him to be a deliverer, to be a judge for Israel. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? It's kind of like a rhetorical question, right? Don't answer it, because I have. I've sent you. And for the rest of the chapter, Gideon throws up reasons after reasons of why God is wrong to use him. Doubt after doubt. You get that in verse 15. He argues that he is from the wrong family, despite the fact that historians believe that his family was probably aristocrats. Then in verse 17, he asked for a sign as proof of what the angel said. He wanted to make sure that it's actually true. He wanted, he wants to see evidence because he can't believe that, that what the angel says is true without actually seeing proof. It sounds like us, right? I'll, when I see it, I'll believe it. That's so much our life, right? And that is so not how faith works. Verse 27. I love verse 27. You think it's a moment of bravery, right? He is called to go and tear down the altar of Baal and these astra poles that are next to it. Go take your father's first bull and take his second bull. And with one of the bulls, you are going to tear down all those things. When does he do it? At night. Why? Because he is afraid of the townspeople. And in the end of the chapter, in verses 3, he famously lays down the fleece. He gives God a test. And if God passes the test, <laughs> which is just ironic, isn't it? If God passes the test, then Gideon will obey and do exactly what God says in the first place. And I hear people, and I think I've even done this myself, about laying out the fleece like Gideon. They might say, listen, God, if you want me to do something, then I want the phone to ring exactly at 8.42 a.m., not p.m. I want it to ring at such and such a time, and then, or make somebody say these exact words, or I want the mailbox flag to be up when I didn't put it up, or I want to have this experience or that experience, and then I will know that God has actually spoken. They say, Lord, if you, want me to, if you want me to do missions work or you want me to reach out, then give me a sign. Give me a sign. Man, is that how it's supposed to work? The reality is that Gideon's fleece is not, my friends, a positive example. And that, my friends, is not a way that you and I should be working out our faith. Gideon wasn't asking for God's will. He already knew God's will. He just didn't want to obey God's will. He's, he was stubbornly resisting doing what he knew he should be doing. The fleece isn't a model of, of how to find out God's will. It's an example of hesitating to obey when we already know what we should be doing. 
So why was Israel in such a mess? Because they were all like Gideon. And so are we. At, at least those of us who claim to know the gospel. Gideon is an example who knew what God had done in the past. He knew if he was a good Israelite, he should have heard the stories of his father and his grandfather and great-grandfather retelling these stories over and over and over again. He was one who probably memorized Bible verses and knows all of the theology, but who has a hard time believing that God is at work now. The gospel, God's saving acts, is a theory to Gideon, but it has no relevance to him on that day. It's only a theory. And the reason we're in such a mess today is that we, we've left the gospel in the history books. It's possible to believe everything that the Bible teaches. Last line. If we treat it like a history book. It's possible to, believe, to, to sing songs of worship and talk about how Jesus has rescued me, how the Son has set me free, therefore I'm, I'm free indeed. It's possible to talk about God parting the sea, and about Jesus walking on the water, about calming the storm, about Peter being released from the prison, about Jesus being raised from the dead. It's possible to believe all that and then live our lives as if that is not true. Is that true for you? Where you can believe all the facts of the gospel and leave it in a category of history. But when it comes to my life, God, you don't understand. I get that you did it back then. But today? We believe it in our heads as a set of facts. But like Gideon, we don't believe it in our hearts. So when Gideon asked the question, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers have, have recounted us? The answer is, when we forget the gospel, we lose our identities and we act like everybody else. We lose even our resources to face our problems. And the, sa the same is true today, my friends. The same is true. When we forget the gospel or treat it like history, two things happen. Here's the first. We do lose our identities. One of the major themes of the people of Israel become like Canaan. They become Canaanized. They become just like the world that they inhabited. They become like the neighboring nations, and nobody could tell the difference. They start worshiping all the other gods. They start eating all the foods that God instructed them to not eat. They become just like Canaan. And the same, my friends, is true today. When we forget the gospel, 
we become like the world. You've probably heard about the study about how our behaviors really aren't any different than the cultures. And if you look at the Pew survey results that are out there, more and more people are becoming like the world. More and more people believe that abortion is okay. When we forget to lose our identity and we become just like the world around us, we believe the gospel, but it has not become personal for us yet. And it's just history. It's just the basis of who we really are. It's kind of our foundation and it doesn't affect the rest of my life. And when we get all get our identities, we all get our identities from something, right? Something or somebody, right? Our relationship, our power, our possessions. We get all of our identities from, from any of these things. And these are even good things. But if we do that, my friends, we will not be different than anyone else. Some of you have pride in your family name or pride in your heritage or pride in your jobs. Getting our identity from anything anyone else will ultimately let us down and we'll end up being like everyone else. But when we see what Christ has done for us and when the gospel seeps into every nook and cranny of our lives, it will totally change us. When we totally experience our union with Christ, it will transform the way that we talk, act, vote, love, rebuke. It will change us. But secondly, when we forget the gospel, we also lose the resources to actually face the challenges that are before us. Think about it. The people in Gideon's days had problems and they had no idea how to handle Andy Stanley, uh, let, let me paraphrase what he has to say. He said, speaking from my limited view, I feel like so much of our problem is that we are scared to death. We're scared of their people. We're scared. We're scared. We're scared. The irony is that we stand up and we talk about Daniel in the lion's den. We can talk about Gideon. But then... We don't even confront our own situations. I think that dynamic alone is a big part of why the church is where it is. It is the fear of people. And I don't know where that comes from. I think I do. It's because we have not... ...find... And I could give you like 10 tips this morning, good therapeutic kind of steps. 
I could give you some good advice on how to handle your problems. Key, keys to a, a wonderful marriage, uh, keys to handling conflict at work. But that really doesn't take the pressure off. It's still more stuff that we have to do. It turns us to ourselves to find resources. If there's one thing that is clear from Gideon's day, it's that the people didn't have the resources for their problems within themselves. And neither do we. But we don't need good advice. What we need is good news. When we remember what God has done, when Gideon remembers how God has delivered Israel in the past, and when we remember what Christ has done, how he, what he has accomplished in our lives, then we have all the resources that we need for whatever might come our way. That is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, could write, What then shall we say to these things? If God, who can be against us? Isn't that good news? Man, the world is pushing in left and right, top and bottom, pressing in from all sides. And you can stand and say, listen, if God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also give him graciously with him give graciously us all things. It's why he could also write in 2 Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So do not, we do not lose heart. I love how Paul says that. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And how is the inner self being day by day, by every day, preaching the gospel to ourselves? My friends, God is for me. For this light, momentary affliction is being is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are, my friends, is it possible that we have forgotten the gospel? Is it possible that you have forgotten the gospel? Because when we do this, we will lose our identities. And we will lose the tools to fight the good fight. But when we remember what God has done through Christ Jesus, we have an identity that cannot be taken away. And we have every resource that we will need to face the trials 
that come up. And my friends, that, that is the good news of Judges chapter 6. Let's pray.